Welcome to another episode of Off the Menu. I'm your host, Vincent Franchini from Tumblr House, here with a multi-dimensional Charles Goulot. Multi-dimensional? Oh, yeah. You mean like, uh, I'm not just restricted to three-dimensional space. That's right. I operate in four, five, six, seven dimensions at once. Yes, with non-Euclidean shapes. I see. Well, that would explain a lot about the 13th floor. <laughs> it, it, would, it would also explain why it is that I'm unable to remember. I'm sorry, what were we talking about again? The 13th floor? Oh, yeah. Well, the 13th floor, if, if uh, I'm not multidimensional, it would explain why when I go through the 13th floor, I don't. I'm sorry, what were we talking about again? We were just saying how you're multidimensional in the introduction. Ah, well, yes. I, and it, it's, it's, it's all very strange, if you ask me. Yeah. Yeah. So how are you doing? Are you feeling better? I am feeling much better. I actually went to a conference in Vienna. Uh, it would have been harder than it was, but I discovered a really soft chair. So while the lectures went on, I was able to sit comfortably, which was great. And that's not all. That's not all by a long shot. Today is the, uh, the 21st. It's the Feast of St. Agnes. It's the anniversary, of the 230th anniversary of Louis XVI being murdered by the French revolutionaries. It would have been my father's 97th birthday if he were alive today. It is snowing here in Austria. I'm jealous. You should be. Right now, it is 31 degrees Fahrenheit. And last night, today being the Feast of St. Agnes, last night was the Eve of St. Agnes. And you know what that means, all of you Keats fans out there. It was the Eve of St. Agnes. Ah, bitter chill it was. The owl, for all his feathers, was a cold. Isn't it a wonderful thing when it's awfully cold outside the way it is right now to be in a toasty, warm environment, comfy and cozy? Mm -hmm. Isn't that great? Oh, Wouldn't yeah. you love to just be oh so warm? But, you know, you had that this past week, the rains in SoCal. Oh, man, it was incredible uh, downpour. All the sort of golden hills are now a very lush green. It's pretty cool. Oh, I love that. Yeah. I, I, SoCal, when, it's, when the hills are green, but of course before then, because ladies and gentlemen, you know, my friends here didn't understand why I felt like I was missing out, but it rains so rarely like that in SoCal. And when it does, you know, when you're in your house, you, know, you can pretend it's really cold. It's not <laughs> terribly but you can pretend and you're you're dry and you're comfy and you're safe and you're drinking tea or coffee or something um no oh, it's it's wonderful it's wonderful it uh, it's tough to drive it though because angelinos do not know how to drive in the rain they just they they they, they go on on their brains go into neutral uh you know and and people don't seem to realize that Either jamming on the brakes or speeding up is not smart when the freeway is half underwater. It's just not a good move. But once you get home and you hear the pitter-patter of the rain 
And better yet, better yet still, it's when you're in bed and the rain is pouring down. Oh, oh, oh. I'm just thinking of it. You know, there's nothing quite like being in bed on a rainy day or rainy night. Even better. Uh, you know, the, the problem with the morning is that you know you got to get up. Whereas when you get into bed when the rain's coming down, you know you've got the whole night ahead of you. In the immortal words of the song, John of Dreams, the hawks of morning cannot reach you here. <laughs> and there you are in your safe, warm, cozy bed in the pouring rain. And oh, oh, oh. These are some of the joys, ladies and gentlemen, that you can have if you live in Southern California during the rainy season. Absolutely. You can listen to Dennis Prager. <laughs> you can. That's really random. <laughs> yeah, well, random is what I'm doing right now. Okay. I have a right to random. I'm like Rover random. Not familiar. It's all right. Those who get it will. Those who don't, it's all right. <laughs> all right. Um, what should we jump to? Should we jump to the memes of production? Nationalize the memes of production. For the common good. All right. What do we got? Uh, so we have a, a genuine meme from Cal who says, My feeling when Pope Francis almost defends the church from German heretics. So let's see. Let's see the picture here. Um, here it is on the screen. I say to German Catholics, Germany has a great and beautiful evangelical church. I do not want another one, which will not be as good as that one. But I want a Catholic one in fraternity with the evangelical one. <laughs> I love this gentleman's expression, the before and after. It's dead on as you read that. It mimics my, my emotions there. The poor Holy Father, you know, I'll tell you, early onset dementia is a terrible disease. Mm. It's just awful. But I, I will say, though, in the Holy Father's defense, that Ava Peron had a more interesting fashion sense. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Go on. That's it. Okay. That's all I got. Wait, in the Holy Father's defense, Eva Perone had a more what fashion sense? A more interesting fashion sense. So how is that defending the Holy Father? I don't understand. How is it not? I mean, I feel yeah, like you. That one's my guy. I feel like you're criticizing his fashion. I'm not criticizing his fashion. It was, was white. Well, it seems like you want his fashion to come up to the level of Eva Perone's. Don't do you know that, that would require him wearing, you know, furs and feathers and all that. And I wouldn't want to see him doing that. But her fashion is nevertheless more interesting. It is. And frankly, she was prettier than uh, Pope Francis. Okay. Well, oh, yeah. What are you going to say? She wasn't. <sighs> you, all right. Who are you going to say was prettier? Evita or Pope Francis? Yeah, exactly. It was Evita. And I think that that's a strong enough defense of Pope Francis. He doesn't need any more from me, and he wouldn't want any more from me. 
You're you're not defending Pope Francis. You're not saying he's pretty. You're you're criticizing his fashion sense. I'm not. I I, I feel like you're throwing ad hominems at Pope Francis. I feel like you're. No, I'm I'm throwing ad feminems at <laughs> uh, at Avita Perone. Who uh, how how are you doing that? You're saying she's pretty and has interesting fashion. And she told Argentina not to cry for her. Because the truth is, she never left them. <laughs> Just no, it's true. I mean, all the wild her wild days, her mad existence. She kept her promise, and she didn't want Argentina to keep its distance. She loved them, and she'd hope they love her. You'll find it strange, but she, through all she'd gone through, she had to change. And as for fortune and as for fame, she never invited them in. They weren't the solutions they promised. I feel like you're. I feel like there's a conflict of interest here for your analysis because you're just biased in favor of Madonna playing Evita Peron. <laughs> I'd rather she played Evita Peron <laughs> than the Virgin Mary. That's for sure. That's for sure. Oh man, I saw Edward Habsburg ranting about that, and I just. Yeah, that's he had a he had a right to rant. I'm sorry to say, I'd rather she played uh, Evita. Yeah, I think we. I all would rather she not played Pope Francis. Yeah, I feel like that would be a hard cast for her. That would be challenging. What? Madonna is Pope Francis. <laughs> <in>. <laughs> well, it wouldn't be as blasphemous as they're doing the Virgin Mary. So that's you know, for that's sure. Okay, yeah, I guess we'd prefer her playing Pope Francis to her being the Virgin Mary. Yes, absolutely. Although I'd still prefer her being a Vita to Pope Francis. Yeah. Now I thought Jonathan Price was perfect to play that, Pope Francis. Yes. Yes. And when Pope Francis was elected, one of my first thoughts that day was, well, he looks like Jonathan Price. I know who should play him in the biopic. Yeah. Yeah. I you know, I didn't see that one, that movie with um where their buddies, uh Jonathan Price, I guess, and uh, is it Anthony Hopkins played Pope Benedict? Yeah. Yeah. Did you see that? I saw it. What oh, okay. Not not so hot, huh? Pretty Not cheese so ball, hard. yeah. You'd be better off watching, I don't know, Evita. Whoa. Okay. It's a, it's a good movie. Okay. Um, the Pope doesn't appear in it, though. So, um... He was around then. I mean, as a boy, he was around when Perón was running Argentina. Yeah, it was a huge influence on him. They his At least that's what historians say. Um, well, historians, I mean, come on. Historians are like what? Recorders of facts. Yeah, well, yeah. in theory. How can you trust an historian who could back up what he says? How can you possibly trust someone who's that anal retentive? That he feels he's got to prove everything he says, so he brings up facts. Yeah. Anybody can bring up facts. It takes a really smart person to bring up utter lies and trash and get people to believe them. It's inspiring. Yes, it is. It's extremely inspiring. Yeah. I read Trash Gang Custodians. I know. <laughs> Whoa. Okay. What? 
What? Don't cry for me, Argentina. <laughs> you're just Are you okay. Okay, you, you're really trying hard on this one. You're you're a little. I feel like what? less is more. Let less is more, Charles. Okay, so just less is more. Just, what you just, call just, me multidimensional? Just dial it down you a little being bit. Random. You can't have it both ways. Look at dial it down a notch. Okay, that's all I'm asking. All right, moving on. Love. <laughs> <laughs> Big fluffy piles of love floating around. Is that better? Bunnies. Bunnies, little chicks, and kittens. And kittens small enough to where they can't really endanger either the chicks or the bunnies. They're little little kittens. Cute kittens. You're hurting you more than you're hurting me. All right. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> you know, you know, when kittens are very, very small, they, and they're they don't even have the nails; they can't really claw anything. The kittens of that age, bare, eyes barely open, just really sweet and cute. Oh, amen. <laughs> okay. All right, let's move. Along I don't know. So okay. Yeah. So move along. Move along. Uh, I had asked the patrons uh, on our little patron chat. Um, how they initially discovered off the menu. Um, and a lot of them had really cool stories. Um, true. But I thought I would share Jonathan's. Um, I hope you don't mind, Jonathan. Uh, but uh, so Jonathan, Jonathan said, uh, I was introduced to the podcast and Puritan's Empire by a good friend who monarchist pilled me. I am a historian, so I came for the history and the lessons on Catholic tradition. I stayed for the banter, ghost stories, chow mein sandwiches, um, culture, and mostly because a kind gentleman named Clancy said he'd break my pretty Dago kneecaps if I didn't. I think that's probably the best reason I've heard yet. You know, absolutely. Uh, it'd be a shame to break your pretty Dago kneecaps. I wouldn't. It? You, you know, you want to sit there and watch the whole thing, don't you? Of course, you know. What a smart lad you are. <sighs> Good to know that uh, where Clancy's uh, bread is buttered. You know he knows well, where. She sure does. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody at the tower knows yeah. where their bread is buttered. Even old Rose knows. Yeah, but he's been he's been really really busy lately. There was this like um, um, incredible accent I heard on the two ten. I didn't see it. I don't really know what it was, but it was a big <laughs> not, one. Not so they, else. so they, they were <laughs> they were. <Nobody> saw nothing. <laughs> So they, they were doing a detour through Arcadia on saying you get off at Santa Anita, and it was really a long way around. It was really crazy. There was a lot of robbery, a lot of mayhem. But um, so he's really Terrible. had his handful. Yeah, it's he's really had his hands full. Well, but, um, well you know, the sad, it was because of the rains. They said the rain shorted out the traffic lights, hence the accidents. Right, right. But um, they had cops. They had cops having to stop the traffic. And literally at every stoplight because the lights were gone. But the problem was that they would stop like that. You know, those sudden stops. If you've got a truck full of stuff, yeah, stuff falls out of the back. 
Yeah, so I mean, it's been a rough week for Arcadia. It's been really rough, but I do have some good news actually. Um, in completely unrelated note, our our gift shop is completely chock full with new goodies that are uh, available for great prices. Everything from refurbished tires to refurbished cell phones. Lots of things we have in the gifts in the Tumblr as gift store. So I've been I've been told they've got they've got toasters. Yeah, I, I I heard about the tires. You know, ladies and gentlemen, there aren't too many any, too many gift shops you can go to and buy tires. <laughs> <laughs> there just just aren't that many. <laughs> and there are towels. There's silverware. <laughs> I even hear there are a few color TV sets. I mean, think about it, ladies and gentlemen. You go to most gift shops in most places, there are a few books. There's some some little gugaws. But the Tumblr House gift shop is a full-service emporium right now. Heavy duty. Heavy duty uh, stuff. Ever so. since the raids hit, the, the, the range of goods available has exploded. <laughs> I tell you... It pays. It pays to have friends in law enforcement. <laughs> On the other hand, if you belong to a trucking company, if you're a president or stockholder, or more importantly, a truck driver for a, a truck company, and you're barreling along the two ten late at night, and you see that <laughs> you see that detour sign at Santa Anita, maybe you'll want to get off somewhere else <laughs> if you can. <laughs> I just hope you've you either got an empty an empty truck or or a heavy load, one or the other. <laughs> no, I, I Arcadia has a totally unjustified reputation. People people make up so many stories about our town. I'll tell you what, it's it's and none of it's true. None of it's true. Ever since uh, Chief Clancy took over, Arcadia's. Arcadia's law enforcement has really improved. <laughs> it's 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 it, you know what it is. It's advanced with the times. I mean, it used to be Arcadia was kind of behind the times. You know, it wasn't like the rest of the country. But now, I would I would pit Arcadia's law enforcement against New York City, Chicago, New Orleans, Louisiana. It's right up there with the top cities of the country. Portland, Oregon, Minneapolis. I mean, and see, the thing is, those are all large cities, right? Arcadia is kind of a small place. But man, oh, man, oh, man, we're proud. We're proud of our law enforcement in Arcadia. How about you? (laughs) (laughs) And I, I can guarantee you, ladies and gentlemen, that you will never ever see the Arcadia Police Department get caught on uh, on video doing anything nasty, because if you are there with a video and you're taking a picture of something, you're not going to get away with it. That's right. Look over there, boys. The man's got a telephone. Grab him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a pity! Your phone seems to have broken. You stepped on it. Oh, so sorry. It was dark, don't you know? Well, we we take privacy seriously in Arcadia. 
privacy issues are very important. And you, you don't think, do you, that when a man joins the Arcadia PD, he loses his right to privacy. Now, that's in the Constitution. So let that be a lesson to you, ladies and gentlemen. If you want to take pictures of police brutality, you go somewhere other than Arcadia. That's right. Because there there isn't any, at least none we can none, none we can speak of. No reported incidents. Clean record. Yep. As always. <laughs> <laughs> Ugh. All right. So what do we what do we got? We got a state of the month or what? State of the we'll, week? We'll get there. We'll get there. We got one more thing before state of the week. Uh, we got a submission from Angela who says, Greeting to the righteous rambler and his sidekick, the godfather of good books. I hope oh. that your advent has been blessed. I have a literary lightning round for Charles. Would oh, he please participate by choosing which of the two authors, works, or characters he prefers? Thanks and God bless. All right. Let's have at it. All right. Here we go. Uh, number one, Hector or Achilles? Hector. Uh, Le Mort de Arthur or Th- Sir Gawain? Oh, that's hard. Well, Mort Hmm. Okay. Percy Hotspur. Or Henry the Fifth. Oh, that's also tough, but we'll go with Henry the Fifth. Gulliver's Travels or a modest proposal. Gulliver's Travels. Robert Burns or Thomas More. Oh, you are cruel, lady, cruel. <laughs> Thomas More. Wow. Uh, Mrs. Bennett or Lady Catherine de Bourg? De Bourg? De Bourg? De Bourg. Lady Catherine. What is that from? That sounds so familiar. I feel like I've... See, Lady Catherine is from... Think. So Mrs. Bennett is going to be Pride and Prejudice. Lady Catherine... Lady Catherine is... Sense and Sensibility? No? Yes? Lady Catherine did. I'm not telling. Oh, that's going to be. Um, is that Downton? Oh, that's. Okay, that's Mrs. Darcy's. Uh, okay. Okay, I get What's, it. I got it. Yeah. Okay. Well, definitely Mrs. Bennett. I mean, you picked no, Lady Catherine? Said, really? Yes, I did. Lady I Catherine's did. nasty. I know that. Okay. Like calls to like. Ah, all right. Uh, fairy tales or nursery rhymes? Fairy tales. Alfred Lord Tennyson or Thomas Hardy? Oh, Lord Tennyson. No question. Banjo Patterson or W.B. Yeats? That is tough. That's as tough as uh, Montatura Gawain, but we'll go with Yeats. Much as I love Benjo Patterson. Father Brown or Sir Pete Whimsy? Lord Peter Whimsy. Uh, Father Brown, but again, it's close. Okay. Ezra Pound or Virginia Wolf? Ezra. Ezra Pound? Pound. Okay. Okay. Oh. Um. 
Wilfred Owen or Rupert Brooke? Rupert Brooke. He went to Toronto. Hmm. Okay. Um, Gandalf or Samwise Gamgee? Gandalf. Uh, you picked that a little too quick for me. Um, okay. All right. All right. No, let's do it again. Ask the question once more. Gandalf or Samwise Gamgee? <laughs> Gandalf. Okay, there. That I Is actually that... I feel better. Yeah. Okay, good. Yeah. Uh Helena or Brideshead Revisited. Brideshead. And lastly, um Wallace Stevens or Cat Stevens? <laughs> Cat Stevens. <laughs> Uh, no, that was a good one. David Crosby died. Mm. Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young for all of my fellow boomers. Let me hear you say the magic words. What? The magic words that you address to boomers when you want to annoy them. Okay, boomer. Thank you. Okay. Uh, all right. Um... State of the week. Are you ready? I are ready. Alaska. Oh, well, my experience with Alaska is very restricted. In fact, I've only been to two of their towns and one of them briefly. Juneau is the capital. I saw the capital. Sitka is the other Alaskan town I know. And that was the Russian capital. And it's got the Russian Orthodox Cathedral. It's got the Finnish Lutheran Church. It's got the site of the Citadel. It's there's a lot of Russian influence in Sitka, and it's a very interesting place. And that's about all I know about Alaska. I mean, I can tell you that uh, Port and Point Barrow, you can have whale steaks, which um, kind of tastes like beefsteak marinated in cod liver oil. Uh, Anchorage is a big city. Summer in Alaska, you've got mosquitoes that'll eat you alive. Uh, there are grizzlies in Alaska. There are Eskimo and Aleut and Indians. Um, it was part of Russia until 1867. And nominally speaking, part of Russian America came all the way down to California, Fort Ross, north of San Francisco. Um and in uh, 1867, uh, this is sold it to the United States uh, at the request of our Secretary of State, Mr. Seward. As a result, it had uh, names like Seward's Folly and Seward's Icebox. Someone even suggested calling it Walrussia, like after walruses. But it was Russian America, and then we gave it the name Alaska when we bought it. Hmm. You said whale steaks? Mm-hmm. Won't that kill you? Like, I mean, not kill you, but, um, I mean, mercury poisoning on that must you're, be through you're, the roof. You're thinking uh, you're thinking of uh, polar bear liver, which will kill you. 
No, I mean, I, I thought I thought there was a certain rule with mercury poisoning where sort of the longer the fish lives in the ocean, like the longer the lifespan, the more their, you know, their fleshy, you know, body accumulates mercury in the water. So oh, the Eskimos seem to enjoy it. So I don't know what to tell them. Wow. Okay. Because I thought there was, because um, I saw a documentary, I forgot, I think it's called The Cove about dolphins. And dolphin definitely get um, pretty serious mercury poisoning. Well, all Maybe, I can tell you, yeah. come on without, come on within. You ain't seen nothing like the mighty Flynn. Finn, Finn, Flynn. When Flynn the Eskimo gets here, Quinn, I'm sorry, you ain't seen nothing like the mighty Quinn. When Quinn the Eskimo gets here, everybody's going to jump for joy. Come on without, come out within, you ain't seen nothing like the mighty Quinn. When Quinn the Eskimo gets here, everybody's going to jump for joy. Why? I don't know. Listen to the song. Find out. He's going to get me, and then everyone's going to celebrate? That sounds like a sadistic society. No, when, when Quinn the Eskimo gets here, not gets you. Oh, I thought you said gets different. you. When Quinn the Eskimo gets you. No, it's gets here. Okay. When Quinn the Eskimo gets you. <laughs> well, that would be an interesting song. Come on without. Come on within. You ain't seen nothing like the mighty Quinn. When Quinn the Eskimo gets you, everybody's going to jump for joy. You must have really pissed off everybody in the village. That's all I can say. That's what I, yeah, okay. That makes more sense. I wouldn't go to sense. Alaska if I were you. I, I wouldn't go to Alaska if yeah. I were you. Quinn, Quinn the Eskimo is gunning for you, apparently. Everybody's going to be happy when, when he gets you, finally. <laughs> so I'd stay away. Okay. Um, you, you keep a clear, a clear, birth of Quinn the Eskimo. All right. All right. Um, now we got the serious questions. Um, Who's afraid of that? Serious questions? Man that comes to mind? Vonday Radio with a serious oh, question for you. Okay. It says, Dear Charles, who would you regard as the best pope of the 17th century and why? Best Pope of the 17th century. It's funny, there's so many candidates for bad. Blessed Alexander the 11th, because he's a blessed. What, he do, what did he do? Well, unfortunately, he fought with Louis, Louis XIV and opposed James II on the Stuart Restoration. In, in Britain, he opposed the Stuarts because they were allies of um, Louis, but he was intensely holy, hence his becoming a blessed, and he reformed a good deal of uh, life in the Diocese of Rome and the Papal States. So, hmm. he, he wasn't a, the Borgia Pope, right? That was like Alexander the Fourth or something? The Sixth. The Sixth. That was Alexander the Sixth. Yeah. Okay. You know what? I take it back. Innocent the Eleventh. Whoa. No, he was in the, never mind. He was in the 18th century. Forget it. But why would you say him? Let's say he was in the other century. His encouragement of the crusade against the Turks. Yeah, he very much agitated for Europe to support the Habsburgs in their struggle with Turkey. Hmm. That was why it was Turkey Lurkey time. I see. 
<laughs> You're not going to go there, are you? Nope. All right. The Ottoman, uh, the Ottoman lurks. No. No. All right. Uh, next question. Dear Don Vincenzo and Sir Charles, just wanted to let you guys know that I finished The Muse in the Bottle and Star Spangled Crown by Mr. Coulomb. Uh, the former is a really great anthology, even after all of these years. Um, oh, this is from Helvicio, by the way. So he, Helvicio right. has several questions. Um, right. So he right. said. You, you, you bought your way in with compliments. Mm, there you go. But he's going to challenge you on this one. He's going to say the Monaco government described in Star Spangled Crown Crown sounds refreshingly normal. The only part which prevents me from jumping on the monarchist train is how the sovereign could even veto a bill with two thirds support of the U.S. Congress. Does Charles really think a good government allows one man to annul the will of two thirds of the people? What about three-fourths? Well, of course, you're presuming that Congress represent the people. Ooh. They don't. Congress represent whoever pays the dough to get them in. Now, mind you, these are important people. But I've often thought that probably if we eliminated voting for Congress entirely and they were simply selected by whoever, whichever lobbyists buy them, it would reflect reality a lot more closely. I mean, say Union Carbide buys 27 of our congressmen. Why go through the nonsense of having elections when you could just have Union Carbide appoint 27 instead of having to buy 27 elected representatives? Hmm. It's interesting. Well, I mean, uh, all kidding aside, you see, I'm afraid you, you've made several assumptions that are not in evidence. One of them being that the people are actually represented by their elected officials. My problem with that is that I have lived all my life in a constitutional republic whose government have shoved down my throat things that often the, the majority opposed. Sometimes they do it through the Supreme Court. Sometimes they do it through Congress. But however they do it, we get to take it and like it and pay for it. Would I trust one man over that? Depends on the man. Depends on his training. Depends on his origins. We don't know the people that buy our congressmen. The closest you can come to for a list of that are the lobbyists. You know, um, one of the, I feel like history has vindicated that opinion of yours, which previously perhaps might be more, contra- I mean, not controversial, but more um, specious, um, or uh, some people might consider that. But I feel like the COVID lockdown is 100% proof of that. That was not a democratic arrangement, the way in which it happened. And um, one of the saddest things, I mean, about the lockdown is how it put so many small business under uh, small businesses out of business. Um, and I, I couldn't help but think of all the big businesses, all the corporations who could outlast, you know, the lockdowns and sort of just choke out 
all the the weaklings. I couldn't help but but wonder if that was part of the reason for the lockdown. You know what I mean? I do. And you hope it's not true. Yeah. You hope you hope that you, you hope it's not true. But the sad reality, you know, is that if the if the last two years have proved nothing else, it's that in modern Western quote unquote democracies, the average citizen has very little control over his life. Now, mind you, that's always been the case. It's just that we always we had it shoved in our faces. Or as I love to say time and time again, when they had us put on our masks, they took theirs off. But the good news also, when you talk about the two-thirds and representation and all that, what about a corrupt majority? Take our own state of California. Now, 61% voted for the worthless Governor Newsom. That's bad. 65% voted to enshrine infanticide in the state constitution. Now, even if Congress truly represented the majority, is that a majority that deserves representation? A lot of dead babies in California might argue otherwise. And I, in a, under a circumstance like that, I wish there was a single individual who could say, no Californians, you don't get to murder your infants. You're going to have to try something else. Maybe keeping it zipped. I, I really am aghast, frankly, that the thing passed with such a majority. And the fun part, the fun part of that is that there's a 4% group of people in California who know that Newsom is a moron but voted for infanticide anyway. Probably pro-abortion Republicans. A heap and helping of 4%. So, you know, it's one of the tenets of classical liberalism that the people are basically good. The problem is the people are you and me. And you and me are miserable sinners. A majority of us put together is not necessarily right. So who decides? Well, it's a tough call. So you've got several layers. One, Congress, as I say, does not really represent the people. But two, even if it did, which people and when and how? Because remember, too, the majority changes. In 72, if abortion had been submitted to a referendum, a nationwide referendum, it would have been easily beaten. But in all the years since, we've had a decaying educational system, an ever more corrupt media, and an ever more unspeakable government, uh, massaging and uh, manipulating and changing and altering and accepting and helping the majority to become what they need them to be. So... It always brings us back to the same problem. Hmm. Okay. Uh, let's see. What else does he have for you? Uh, Helvicio also says, it's very hard to find information about St. Veronica, even though she appear- she apparently wrote 
22,000 pages of diaries, letters, and poems in her lifetime. Um, do you think Tumblr House can look into translating some of that into English and getting it published? Oh, well, I guess that's for me. Um, yeah, absolutely. I can, I, I can look into that. Could be. Yeah. Uh, you could absolutely, you could look into it. <laughs> um, so, uh, so, uh, oh, I guess, so here's a question for you about St. Veronica. What does Charles know about St. Veronica Giuliani? I've never heard of her until two days ago, even though no less a saint than Padre Pio looked up to her. Pope Leo XIII said about her, quote, She has been so abundantly blessed with extraordinary graces that only the mother of God exceeds her. Wow. That's a statement you know, right she, there. It is a statement. She was from an old, uh, I believe the Giuliani's were a Venetian family, old noble family. Um, and, you know, I don't remember what I read about her. I, I, was she married? You know, ladies and gentlemen, I would do something I, I don't generally do when I'm asked a question and I don't have a proper answer. I'm going to look in front of you. Then she was a nun. There we go. Uh, oh, poor Claire. They, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. All right. She was a capuchin, poor Claire. Uh, from Umbria. She had the stigmata. Um, that makes sense why she'd be on P Padre Pio's radar, being the same yeah. order. It's true. But it's interesting. This is something unusual. Giuliani's rebirth in Lebanon began with the devotion of a Lebanese religious, Brother Emmanuel, who came upon her writings in 1994 while serving in a monastery in Deir al-Zur, Syria. Emmanuel founded a uh, religious order, the Little Servants of the Immaculate Heart of Mary, in 2015. And he believes Giuliani has chosen Lebanon as a country to begin or intensify her mission because Lebanon loves Our Lady a lot and has a very deep relationship with Mary. Uh, banners throughout the country... Uh, proclaimed a saint rises up in Lebanon, heralding the first saint in the world, the first church in the world outside of Italy, dedicated to St. Veronica Giuliani. The newly built church in Casalba, Lebanon, was consecrated on 9 July 2016, the Saints' Feast Day. Huh. That is really quite amazing. But yes, I have heard of her. The stigmata, etc., etc. Oh. Interesting. It's interesting. Yeah. So um, I'll look into it for sure. I mean, 22,000 pages, that's a lot. I mean, if a saint is writing 22,000 pages, like my, my immediate gut reaction is like that's going to be like she had to discern that she had to write, that God wanted to write her, her to write that much. So I feel like. It's going to be some substantial things in there. So I'll, I'll research that, Helvisio. Um, so thank you for, for showing that to me. Um, all right. Charles always talks about how the French are best at everything. But I get the, the, the impression that he believes Americans are better at writing fiction. Is that true? If it's not, who are Charles's four favorite writers after Washington Irving? 
Thanks for answering my questions. I'll keep praying for the success of Charles's surgery. Mm. Thank well, you. Yeah. Well, so far, so good. Thank you for continuing to do so. Uh, well, to answer your question, um, the uh, I wouldn't say the Fr the Americans are better than the French at writing fiction, uh, but they certainly do have a flair for it. So my four favorite after Washington Irving would be Edgar Allan Poe, Nathaniel Hawthorne, H.P. Lovecraft, and Ray Bradbury. That's a good list. Yeah, I think so. Of the uh, five, counting Irving, I've only known one. Oh. Well, Bradbury, obviously. Um, yeah. Yeah. Obviously, people have accused me of being older than I look, and that would be really old. And I'm multidimensional. You don't know. It's true. Time is a dimension. <laughs> okay. For all you know, there was a photograph uh, taken of me and Washington Irving. Yeah. I, there's various strange photos of you where these people who are in these photographs that clearly look like you, these very old photos, it's on the internet, actually. Yep. Um, pretty creepy, to be honest. It is creepy. I, I'm creeped out. <laughs> I'm creeped out on a regular basis. All I do is look in the mirror and I get creeped out. All right. Um, next question is from Andrew from New Jersey by way of Long Island. Connecticut respected. You're here. Lower Hudson Valley enjoyer, Monophysite destroyer. Hmm. Uh, Andrew says, is Charles aware of the cultural trend known as dark academia? And if so, can he comment on it and tell us what he thinks? Seems like something he would get behind. I've never heard of it. I don't know the first thing about it. Dark academia. Now this is... This is the second thing, dark academia. I don't know anything about it. Uh, is that like vocal fry? Dark academia. Well, since it's dark, so we we know like light is liberalism, right? Like the Enlightenment and the Dark Ages is when you know Christendom ruled the world. So I'm sure it's in that same vein. Wow! Listen to this. I've never ever heard of this. What is it? This is a Wikipedia source of all truth. Uh-oh. Dark academia is a social media aesthetic and subculture concerned with higher education, writing slash poetry, the arts, and classical Greek and collegiate Gothic architecture. The subculture is associated with ancient art and classic uh, literature. Aesthetic. The fashion of the 1930s and 40s, sounds good, Figures prominently in the dark academia aesthetic, particularly clothing associated with attendance at Oxbridge, Ivy League schools, and prep schools of the period. A number of the articles of clothing most associated with the aesthetic are cardigans, blazers, dress shirts, plaid skirts, Oxford shoes, and clothing made of houndstooth and tweed. It's color palette maintaining, consisting mainly of black, white, beige, browns, dark green. And occasionally navy blue. I've never heard of this. The subculture draws 
on idealized aesthetics of higher education and academia, often with books and libraries, <laughs> probably. <laughs> Activities such as calligraphy, museum visits, libraries, coffee shops, and all-night studying sessions are common among proponents. That's like trying to get a decent grade. This is a really dark concept, apparently. <laughs> this is really dark, a, yeah, a nightmare. It's called, it's called sanity. Seasonal imagery of autumn is also common. Uh, caught me already. Imagery of Gothic and collegiate Gothic architecture, candlelight, dark wooden furniture, and dense cluttered rooms often occurs. <laughs> the subculture has been described as maximalist and nostalgic. Universities that are often featured in dark academia image boards include Oxford, Durham University, the University of Edinburgh, the University of Glasgow, and Harvard University. I've been at all those places. The subculture shares similarities with goth subculture, tending to romanticize the finding of beauty and poetry in dark themes. Well, I don't have any see any dark themes yet. Tim Brinkoff of Big Think. There's something. What's Big Think? Multimedia web portal. Okay. Has stated that, quote, unquote, moody architecture and philosophical pessimism are key aspects of the aesthetic, as opposed to what? Wokery? Wokery is very optimistic. Hannah Southwick of USA Today. Oh, there you go. USA Today, that that excreter of, of sanity, has described it as a quote-unquote melancholic aesthetic, citing a fashion stylist who described it as boarding school meets golf enthusiast. Wow. History. In 2015, the trend emerged on social site, media site Tumblr with the creation of a, a book club that centered around classic and gothic novels. The aesthetic then grew into a distinct subculture, seeing a wave of popularization on Instagram led by Ryan Taylor. I've never heard of these people. And Maria Teresa Negro in 2017. Dark academia rose in popularity during the COVID-19 pandemic. Well, I, I can figure that. Increased interest in dark academia has been credited to the shutdown of schools. Well, I can see that, too. If you can't go to school, the ability to actually go to school is kind of exciting. Wow. Never heard of this stuff. A number of works, a number of classic works of literature, such as Oscar Wilde's The Picture of Dorian Gray, Maurice by E.M. Forster, as well as the works of writers such as Lord Byron and Percy Bysshe Shelley, i.e. writers, have been cited as either influential or popular among the subculture or fitting within its aesthetics. Donna Tartt's novel, what a name, Donna Tartt, The Secret History, published in 1992, which tells the story of a murder that takes place with a group of classic students at an elite New England college, has been credited as being the inspiration for the trend. Other more recent books, such as R.F. Quang's novel Babel, J.K. Rowling's Harry Potter series, If We Were Villains by Emma Rio, Piranese by Susanna Clarke, and Ninth House by Leigh Bardugo, Under the Porticos by S. Charpentier, have also been included. A number of uh, films and TV series have also been credited as fitting into the aesthetic. Uh, the 1989 film, The Dead Poets Society, blah, 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 okay, Reception, uh, blah, blah, blah. Oh, here we go. Criticism. Okay. Dark academia has been criticized for a variety of reasons, including the aesthetics perceived Eurocentrism. Oh, lack of diversity, 
and glamorization of unhealthy lifestyle choices. You mean like not being locked down? Like being able to go to school? Okay. Uh, Critics of the aesthetic have argued that the English literary canon from which it draws inspiration is an overwhelmingly white one. With Tim Brinkoff claiming that associated content creators prefer to uh, discuss Oscar Wilde over and Emily Dickinson over Toni Morrison or James Baldwin. That's because Toni Morrison sucks. Jazz sucked. That's well, why. I was I was going to say they prefer good authors to bad ones. Okay, great. Sarah Burton, a sociology fellow at City University of London, has noted that the aesthetic contains little representation of, quote, most women, working class, people of color, fatness, people with low economic or cultural capital, disability, caring and domestic activities and labor, especially the enjoyment of these, motherhood, queerness, and the mundanity of academic life. You know... It's, I, I'm being forced into endorsing it now. Efforts have In been response, made to incorporate literary works from black authors such as Langston Hughes into dark academia. That's because Langston Hughes is actually good. <laughs> we're, we're, we're not adding him because he's black, guys. We're He's actually good. <laughs> I, I just, what a bunch of... All right. All right, I I don't I, I can't read anymore. I, I can't do it. Right. You know what? I'm all for it. Oh, dark my academia goodness. rules. I mean, what is the? Uh, but see, if it's dark academia, they're saying dark academia doesn't have enough. It has too much whiteness in it. Well, no. What 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 really stuck out to me is this this Tim Brinkoff guy saying moody architecture and philosophical pessimism. Moody architecture, like, like, what's like? That's such a weak criticism. Moody architecture, like, what does well, that even I, mean? I think I don't know. I think philosophical pessimism is justified by the fact that people like Brinkoff are taken seriously as cultural commentators. So maybe there's a reason to be philosophically pessimistic at a time when people like that have big mouths. Not that that's a bad thing, you know. But I have a big mouth but what's funny? What's funny is. Like, as you're going through this Wikipedia article, it's very nuanced, kind of a little bit more subtle, like, digs the whole time. It's yeah. very it's very subtle. And to me, I could sort of see the intent. Like, I could see them – I could see it was making these these liberals really unhappy, but there's really nothing concrete that they could Poor say. But then finally when we got to the criticism one, then, then it's just bald-faced hatred. Eurocentric. How dare you? Lack of diversity. Rawr! You know, like. Well, again, if you've got problems with the Eurocentrism, stop speaking European <laughs> languages. Stop using European technology. Stop wearing European clothing. Stop eating European food and using European medicine. You Sit know, in the mud and eat grubs. W- without even knowing what this was, I was able to call it too, because these people are so unimaginative. Oh, dark academia, right? Like. Of course, and it was exactly what I what we would guess it would be, even though it doesn't. Well, what What's interesting I, too? I, what's interesting too? What they said, um, it actually is completely contradictory. You didn't read this section, Charles. One writer no, compared it to the contemporary 
cottagecore lifestyle aesthetic, saying that while cottagecore requires a home in the country and leisure time for crafting, dark academia's simple act of putting on a blazer and reading Dostoevsky is far more doable, end quote. What is so dark about cottagecore? I, I don't actually literally cottagecore is literally the opposite of dark. What is cottagecore? Ooh, oh, it's an internet aesthetic. My wife I just loves it. It's an internet. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, what, what's in, in two words? Thomas Kincaid. That ah, well. there, there it is. That's the aesthetic, right? Thomas the Kincaid cottage. Yeah. Well, I mean, oh, it's a subculture of millennials and Generation Z. All right, my generation offers millennials and Generation Z piles of crap, and for some reason they don't appreciate it. I get it. All right, fine. Goblin core. That's interesting. Folklore of goblins. Eesh, that's weird. But, but I mean, Never they're heard. trying to call cottage core dark and like. I don't get it. Oh, here we go. Now, Taylor Swift, actually, interestingly, quote, Taylor Swift accelerated cottagecore popularity in 2020 with her eighth studio album, Folklore. I feel like it, it's kind of a stretch, but she's so popular that she kind of pushed people there. So it's like, okay, I'll take it. But um, uh, here we go. At the bottom of the Wikipedia source of all truth, cottagecore yeah. thing, the very yeah. last paragraph. Here we go with the open moron. <laughs> In the New York Times, Isabel Stone relates cottagecore to minimalism, describing both as, quote, wholly unrealistic depictions of life filtered by perfection. Now, I know if you're aspiring to something better than the garbage you've got, it's unrealistic. I get it. That's why you should take whatever crap you're handed by life and just shut up. I, I understand. Rebecca Jennings, writing for Vox magazine, describes cottagecore and arc academia. It's weird how they link them. As, quote, oh, this is great, quote, historical aesthetics that evoke conservative values and gender rules. Oh, boo, boo. That's it. He actually including, said it. Including Eurocentrism and heteronormativity. There it is. All right. All right. There it is. You know what? Yay, dark academia. Yay, cottagecore. I, you know, I, I thank you for bringing this up, Andrew. I love this. I love... You know, these people are so stupid, they don't realize that their words are actually pushing people to the other side. No, they don't. They don't. <laughs> Put, break on through to the other side. You know, you, you, you're morons and you're dimwits. Uh, um, I, I just... Historical aesthetics. The problem with them is that they yeah. emphasize heteronormativity. Okay. Well... It's not even. I like, told you my answer. Yeah, it doesn't. They, see, they just it's just word salad. It spews. It means nothing. You know, if you're going to critique something, ladies and gentlemen, that's fine. It's great. Hauntology, food forest. God bless us all. Uh, they, all these were queer anti-urbanism. Now you can't <laughs> accuse queer anti-urbanists of heteronormativity, or can you? I don't know. What does it say? No, you're, you're going down the rabbit hole, Charles. And like, just... I, I'm not doing this. I, I, I mean, <laughs> dark romantic is a steampunk. I know. <laughs> Your brain's like I, I, I just, man, oh, man. It, it's just all the <laughs> stuff I don't know. And I, I was happy until, what, 10 minutes ago, 15 minutes ago. Now, 
But all right, Andrew from New Jersey. I am going on record as endorsing dark academia on the one hand, cottage core on the other. So how about an obscure country university surrounded by a happy village with happy farmers and where everyone lives happy lives and aren't a bunch of idiot morons whose whole lives are consumed by resentment against people who aren't criminally broken. You know, their words didn't even make sense. A wholly unrealistic depiction? What's unrealistic what? about a cottage? Like, I, I don't get what's unrealistic. Well, I've never seen one. I've yeah. never seen a cottage. Yeah, I've and, been in an apartment all my life. Anne of Green Gables, totally unrealistic. Uh, I know. I know, lady. Um, okay. Goodbye. Uh, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, I don't know what to say. You know, I, I, I've been... Uh, I've been brought into a world suddenly I never knew existed and brought face-to-face with enemies of that world who were beyond stupid. You know, I think Tom Brinkoff probably lurks on the 13th floor or perhaps twerks there. <sighs> no. I, I, I just... I, I just. What do you say to that? It's nonstop crap. And you know what gets me is the the mingy little criticisms. Oh, it's not just it's not that moody Ooh. architecture. Oh, how about moody blues? Yeah. Oh, well, that's yeah, like that. That's different. Yeah. But I moody architecture. Well, what's your idea of unmoody architecture? You know, to to me, the opposite of that is like oh, architecture that inspires no feeling whatsoever, does not evoke any feeling. <laughs> well, okay. Brutalism. Yeah, brutalism. Brutalism. Yeah. All right. Well, then live in a brutalist apartment somewhere and die, as we all must someday. Stupiditas omnia vincit. You know what that means? Uh, Stupidity conquers all. There you go. You have to be a dark academic to know that much Latin. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. Thank you. Thank you, Andrew, for this one. You're really able to do what I haven't been able to do with Charles. It just mm, it feels good. It feels good, especially after that pre-show where I was on the receiving end. It's good to... Were you on the receiving end of the pre-show? Wait, was I? I forgot. I, what I happened? Forgot. All right. Uh, next. All right. So Anita no, no, wait, sent Wait a minute. What happened on the, on the pre-show that you were upset about? Uh, you were being ungentlemanly to me. About what? You were being disrespectful. Disrespectful. About about uh, um, uh, yes. a yes a sentence that I said which was not well thought out which you jumped on like a hyena. <laughs> <laughs> I tore I tore bites of words out of that sentence, ladies and gentlemen. It's true. <laughs> I I don't want to I don't want to give away what it was. You can you can look at the pre-show. You know, as a patron or whatever, but man, it's true. You you threw me. It, it was so delicious going down the chunks of meat. It was good. It was delicious. Hyena like, yeah, it, it's true. I was like a hyena. I pounced. But I mean, what do you do? What does the hyena do when you throw a, a lamb in front of it? Yeah. <laughs> what does the hyena do? <laughs> And that's what you did. It's like, meh, meh. 
I wonder what the hyena will do if I throw this at him. Snap, snap. That's what the hyena will do. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. Poor little lab didn't have a chance. <laughs> you, you, you're supposed to rise <clears throat> above your instincts, your appetites. You're supposed to abstain. I know you. I know you are. But when you throw, when you get a, a delicious morsel thrown at you, what are you supposed to do? <sighs> I mean, you know, I'm only made of flesh and blood. I like the hyena with the lamb thrown at it. I couldn't help myself. It was so perfect. All right. All it was right. just an offering to the gods. And I, I'm no god, but I took the offering. <sighs> okay. Uh, we have a bunch of questions from Anita. Uh, super ah, fan okay. Anita, who says, um, Dear gentlemen, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Let's continue to pray for Charles's health and hope he will be well-rested after your off-the-menu break. Meanwhile, I want to do my bit to make sure he has no shortage of questions to answer when you come back. Oh, thank you, Anita. Right. That's very thoughtful. Um, I love Charles's answer to my question about the continued existence of the Holy Roman Empire. So I want to continue in the monarchist vein. Ooh. Since we have an English coronation coming up in a few months, let's talk about some crown jewels. What are the oldest known pieces of British regalia? Did any of it survive Cromwell's campaign of destruction, or did it all have to be remade after the restoration? Mm. That's a really good question, and actually not one that I can answer offhand. I know that what's now called King Edward's crown was made of pieces of the old St. Edward's crown. Hmm. Um, you know, that's a very good question. Uh, the history of the crown jewels, which I've read and retain nothing of. Hmm. Okay. That's okay. Uh, what can you tell us about Hungary's crown of St. Stephen? Did St. Stephen really wear this crown that survives to present day? Why is this cross on top askew? And, and why don't they fix it? Well, uh, there are is a difference of opinion as to whether St. Stephen actually wore it or wore part of it, because apparently it's in two pieces. Um, part of it was Byzantine, part of it was Latin. Um, so I don't remember the specifics. The crown was knocked askew like that over the course of time, and they don't repair it because that would be to interfere with something sacred. The the Holy Crown of St. Stephen is considered as the ruler of Hungary. Whoever wears it being his viceroy, its viceroy. It's a very unique thing in Europe. But the the Hungarians have a tribal affection for it. And I'm not I'm not being insulting when I say that. It's almost a fetish. Um yeah. and it, it got hit at some point. It's had quite a history. Uh, I saw it three weeks ago, four weeks ago, before I went uh, in for my operation. The Saturday before December 22nd, I went to Budapest and saw it for the first time in Parliament, which is where it's kept, uh, as the symbol of, well, it's more than a symbol, as the true ruler of Hungary. Well, I've actually not seen that many. I've seen the Hungarian, I've seen the Imperial in the in Vienna, the Hofburg, which I would say is the most impressive, the Crown of Charlemagne and all that. I've seen the French, which are in several different places, in the Louvre and at the Cathedral at Ross. Um, and the coronation crown of Louis XV, which is at the Louvre, 
is very impressive. It's got a fleur-de-lis made of diamond. You don't see that very often. And of course, I've seen the British crown jewels in the Tower of London. I've seen the honors of Scotland in Edinburgh. And those are the only ones I've seen. Hmm. Uh, Hungarian, Imperial, French, English, and Scots. Of the bunch, as I say, I, I would say the Imperial are the most impressive. But they're all they're all quite something. Uh, and there are, you know, there are quite a few I'd like to see still. Um, the Prussian, the Saxon, uh, the the Czech, of course. You you can't see the the crown of Saint Wenceslaus is never exhibited to the to the people except once every seven years or something. It's it's an extremely impressive looking thing though the crown of Saint Wenceslaus. Hmm. All right. Um, finally, what do you think about the idea of an American Catholic monarchist party? Some people dismiss out of hand the idea of a star spangled crown. Oops, was that a plug? Oh, this is a plug, Anita. Star Spangled Crown available in the Tumblr House bookstore for about fifteen ninety five. Order two and get free shipping and handling. Is that right? Free shipping and handling? That's right, Charles. But wait, there's more. <laughs> uh, limited time offer. Uh, while supplies last, uh, sorry, no CODs. Void were prohibited. No assembly required. Operators are standing by. Batteries not included. Order now. Uh, you and get this free. Go ahead. Be the first on your block. That's right. Go. Yeah. Not an actor. Not an actor. <laughs> yep. All right. Um,. It's been a while, right? We were really rusty on that. It's kind of a little embarrassing, to be honest. But, um, yeah, so thank you for that opportunity, Anita. It's true. It's true, ladies and gentlemen. We're, we're, very, we're very happy to be able to brush up on our late-night advertisement skills. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, okay, so... You have to be watching Channel... Channel 5, Channel 9, Channel 11, or Channel 13 late at night to get those those good deals. That's right. Uh, so, but when we consider, so she says, goes on and says, when we consider that monarchy has prevailed through most of human history and seems most in accord with human nature, and when we further consider the events of the last couple of years, I rather think that it is democracy that is turning out to be the LARP. What say you? Ooh. I can't. I, I I can't disagree. I mean, you know the the problem. The problem is that the majority of royals have accepted the same sort of democracy that we were taught growing up, and accept a that the voice of the politicians are the voice of the people, and b that the majority of the people at any given time somehow have superior wisdom, which sometimes is true, sometimes isn't. It depends on the period and the weird, the weird symbiosis between rulers and ruled, because they each come to resemble one another. A corrupt rulership will produce a corrupt people. Corrupt people will produce corrupt rulers. 
um, and how you straighten that out, it's, it's, it's a very hard call. Um, you know, a Catholic monarchist party in America as it is now, I cannot see any successful, ultimately successful political action in the United States without conversion. I mean, we had a certain sort of religiosity, a certain secular religiosity, married to a moral consensus that allowed the country to function in the past. That's all gone. If anything is to replace it, it has to be the majority, and here is where majorities are important because they do set the tone. If the majority of the country were believing Catholics, her institutions would naturally and organically alter in a positive manner. And we might very well get a Catholic monarchy. But as things stand, only a minority of the states have a problem with infanticide. What kind of government are you going to come out of a bunch? Are you going to get out of a bunch of baby killers? It's tough. It's enough to make you retreat, retreat to the groves of dark academe, or to cultivate the core of your cottage. Uh, well, I'm I'm really glad we I got to introduce you to cottage. I thought cottage core was really really popular, so that everybody kind of knew about it. Um, but um. I'm no. an old duffer. I don't know this stuff. I'm a boomer. Come on, say the word. Okay, boomer. You know Thank you. So, you know, uh, just sort of thinking about now as we're talking about it, um, I don't think I, I believe that a good king can come out of a good people. I don't. I, I like. I don't think it it can work that way. I feel like it. Uh, just as authority flows from the top down. Feel like learning flows from the top down. Like, like the people above us are naturally go, always are always going to be the teachers. And Even that, if what they have to teach us is garbage, but the problem is, I mean, again, you come to a chicken and egg thing. Uh, you know, to have decent leadership, you've got to have decent followers, but to have decent. you find is that these things often come out of seeming nowhere. Oh. Could you say that again? I'm sorry. Uh, to, to, yeah, start with, to have decent leadership, you have, have to have decent followers. To have decent leadership, you have to have decent followers. To have decent followers, you have to have decent leadership. You have this, you know, how you break that catch-22 I don't know. I mean, we, we know it happens historically. It's happened. Great leaders have arose, arisen, arisen, and smacked everybody around and then pulled something together. But then again, out of uh, mass conversions of people, decent leaders have risen to the top. I. It is hard... It's very, very difficult, I think. It's very, very difficult to simply do. You've got to have the right the right things in motion, and frankly, I don't know how to do those right things. 
I don't know what's required. What I do know is that in our time, there's been very little in the way of decent leadership of any kind. And that cannot be a reward for a, to a virtuous populace. I mean, think of poor old blessed Kaiser Karl. You know, there we had a saint. And what happened to him? Or for that matter, Louis XVI on this very day, 230 years ago. Uh, he was a much better man than the people that killed him. And the majority of the nation just watched as it happened. So I don't know. But then again, you have someone like Clovis or Charlemagne who rise up and pull everything after them. I don't know. I think whatever leaders that are good that we're going to get, there has to be one conscious decision that they have to make, which is that um, it's basically like the choice of Blessed Carl, that you're willing to suffer for your people. that Because you know if you want to be a force for good, to change things, and to have a, a serious leadership position, you will be a target. Your life will be hell. And you have to be willing to accept that. You have to be willing to jump into that fire. Sadly. You know? Yeah, I... It's a difficult thing. So here we are. Anyway, that's the best I've got. Okay. All right. This is, um, it's been a great, um, it's been a great full episode anyway. Um, can't speak for the pre-show, even though it was quite long, but um, it's been a great full episode. Um, Did something happen in the pre-show that, that upset you or, you know, in any way put you off your feet? I mean, you being a bully and mean-spirited, and sort of um are you accusing me of bullying are you, eurocentric are you <laughs> <laughs> well that okay are you laying me open to being canceled is that what you're doing you're throwing me up as a victim to cancel culture all because you yourself flung me a, a, a ready opportunity that no one no one with a gut could have resisted what are you asking me i'm sorry well, I'm saying, are you opening me up to cancel culture purely because you flung me a tidbit that no one could have resisted? A tid, you know, that's very effeminate for you to say that. Oh, I couldn't resist. It's very effeminate. I, I feel like people would say. Um, oh yeah, I I go back to the hyena and the lamb then. Is that <laughs> enough for you? Okay, okay. Um, That'd be a great, a great uh, sign for a pub, the hyena and the lamb. That that would be truly. Um, well, you know, you've had a calm, you have a, you've had a calm year. You know, it's t time to time to get some drama. Try to time to rile some folks up, right? That's what I gave you during the pre-show, and you got excited and upset. 
well, <laughs> well it, it's e- I, I'm speaking for you, not for oh, me. Got <laughs> oh, well, okay. me there, pal. <laughs> yeah. Well, listen, it's it, it has been a journey of discovery on this trip, uh, boy. Dark academia and cottagecore. Yeah, it just. I don't know. I don't know. Ladies and gentlemen, it's it's a mad world, my masters. But you know what I think people should really do right now? What? Well, it's late January, and even in Los Angeles, it is cold. It is dark. Uh, if let me let me just look. Los Angeles weather. Let's see if we've got rain in the forecast. What's in the 60s? Oh, gosh, there's no rain at all in this coming week. Uh, No, no rain for the next. Oh, wait a minute. February 1st, you'll have showers. So you may have rain in the first week in February, if that. But, you know, the further off it gets, the least you can rely on it. At any rate, I'm just grateful that you and everyone else in L.A. were able to sort of huddle and cuddle in your homes and houses and just, you know, be uber warm and comfy. Yeah. It's nice being comfy. It is. And for those of us right now who are where it's snowing, I can tell you that being comfy and cozy is not a bad thing at all. Hmm. And I would... I would just like to quote the lyrics of one of my favorite songs, which seems pretty appropriate right now. Not Don't Cry For Me, Argentina, although that is also very appropriate for some people at the moment. No. It is the lyrics to a song called John of Dreams by Bill Caddick. And it, it just... Right now, ladies and gentlemen, it's very cold outside, and it's very warm and pleasant here inside. And in the not-too-distant future, I'm going to slide into bed. So here it goes. John of Dreams from Bill Cavett. When midnight comes and people homeward tread, seek now your blanket and your feather bed. Home comes the rover, his journey's over. Yield up the nighttime to old John of Dreams. Across the hills, the sun has gone astray. Tomorrow's cares are many dreams away. The stars are flying, your candle is dying. Yield up the darkness to old John of Dreams. Both man and master and the night are one. All things are equal when the day is done. The prince and the plowman, the slave and the freeman, all find their comfort in old John of Dreams. When sleep it comes, the dreams come running clear. The hawks of morning cannot reach you here. Sleep is a river, flow on forever. And for your boatman, choose old John of Dreams. Mm. Isn't that lovely? That's nice. Yeah. All right. That was a nice one. But so, uh, yeah. What? what? Hmm? No, go ahead. I was gonna 
ask you, you what is it? Yes, I do. What is it if it's Monday? Don't help me. I work best without a net. Hold on. It's off the menu. But what about the soul you save? All things considered, it may well be your own. See you next time, everyone. (laughs) Good night, ladies and gentlemen. God bless you all. My best of all, John Dreams.